everyone, and thank you for joining us for another episode of the Science Unfiltered podcast. Today, we have the joy of hearing from Genevieve Hodson, who we met in the very first episode of our Science Unfiltered podcast. She is a true friend of the show, so we can't wait to hear from her today. If you haven't had a chance to listen to our first few episodes, we highly recommend, after this one, heading to the beginning to see where it all started. But before you head off to another episode, stick around for Genevieve's in-depth look into method development techniques, along with a few exciting announcements from Phenomenex. Today's episode is going to be a little bit different, as we're going to jump right into Genevieve's discussion on how to develop the best method for your next analysis. So go ahead and take it away, Genevieve. Thanks, Michelle. So today's topic of conversation is method development. Um, Again, my name is Genevieve Hodson. I am a member of the technical team at Phenomenex, been with the team for the past two years now. Previously to working at Phenomenex, I ran, worked in a bunch of different industries, but I worked for a number of years at a company called Ceruliant who manufactured certified reference materials. And at this company, I did a lot of method development. I worked on two to three compounds a day where I didn't have reference methods and needed to come up with something new and find a method that would work for this compound. Um, The goal of this podcast is to get you thinking of ways that you can tackle an unknown compound. Um, What I mean is a compound with no reference that that you can't find a reference for. Um, So that be that uh, one of our applications online or a literature paper. You're just starting from scratch, essentially. Uh, I want to get you familiar with the method development process, kind of the way of thinking about developing a method, um, and, and so that you will be able to do it on your own. A quick disclaimer Um, This is my method for developing methods. Um, This is something that I did, and so it's not always going to work for you or your compounds. Um, Chemicals are weird, and they act in odd ways. Um, And sometimes, well, oftentimes, this isn't going to work. It's a basic method development, a basic process, and so... um, you know, it's it's not going to work for everything. So I just wanted to put that disclaimer there. This is really my intent was to just get my general process down and so that you can start to think about how I develop methods and how you would go about developing a method. Um, and, and the more intense compounds are going to take more work and the more difficult, you know, separations will take more work. But this is a good general approach to start off. So in this podcast, we're going to talk about, we're going to start by talking about separation modes. Then we're going to move on to columns, orthogonal columns specifically. Then we're going to talk about mobile phase determination and finding the, a good mobile phase ratio. Then finally, we're going to talk about quickly sharpening peaks, kind of like peak sharpening cheats, if you will. Um, so let's jump right in. First on the docket is separation modes. Um, So when I am working with a compound that I don't have a reference for, I can't find a literature paper or anything on, um, the first thing that I look at is the log P of the compound. 
um, log p meaning the partition coefficient, or um, how much that molecule is going to favor organic over aqueous, how much it's going to want to be in the organic, or how much it's going to want to be in aqueous solvent. Um, if you know the name of your compound, you can often find it by Google search. Um, I like to use a website called chemicalize.com. Um, you can type in the name of the compound and it will have the log P. If you don't know the name of a compound, if it's something that you're researching, something new, um, a degradant, something like that, you can actually draw the structure of the compound on chemicalize.com and it will generate an approximation of the log P of the compound. And, it, you know, it's an approximation, but it's a good approximation and it's a good place to start. So when I look at the log P, I am looking for the different separation mode that I'm going to use. Um, separation mode meaning reverse phase, normal phase, helic, that kind of thing. So for normal phase, anything with a log P above five, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to probably favor normal phase, um, separation. So normal phase meaning silica, diol, um, amino, cyano columns, phases. For reverse phase, I look at a log P of anywhere between like one and five. Those would, those compounds are good candidates for reverse phase separation. Reverse phase, C18, C8, phenyl, phenylhexyl, biphenyl, those kind of phases. For helic mode, anything with a log P of one to a negative number, I'm going to consider helic mode. Um, and helic has phases like amino, diol, and then anything explicitly labeled helic on it. So I'm going to find um, the log P. And if you don't know the structure, you don't know the log P, you can just think about what, what the compound dissolves in. Um, so if you're not able to find out the log P, just think does my, is my compounds more soluble in water or more soluble in organic solvent? Um, if it's more soluble in organic solvent, it's going to have a higher log P value, most likely. Um, and then if it favors water more, it's, it's more likely going to have like a little bit of a lower log P. Um, again, there are other separation modes that we're going to that are out there. There's ion chromatography, ion exchange chromatography, um, SEC, size exclusion. But today we're going to focus on reverse phase. Um, this is, I feel like, I feel like reverse phase is the most common. Um, it's also what most people start off developing methods on, you know, in reverse phase because there are so many compounds in reverse phase. So I feel like it's a good base to start your method development journey. So now that we know the separation mode that we're going to use, reverse phase in this case, we're going to look at columns and more specifically phases. Um, you can get into the ID of a column, the length of a column, and that kind of thing, but we're not going to cover that in this general method development podcast that's more advanced method development. So, you know, stay tuned. We'll have a podcast on that later, hopefully. Um, but right now we're going to look at phases. 
And so there are many different phases out there for reverse phase. Um, but for method development, I primarily use two phases. And this is what many people out there use. I use a C18 column, C18 phase, and a phenyl phase. Um, I use the C18 because um, the C18 phase offers um, hydrophobic interactions. The hydrophobic interactions um, are going to help any compound with, you know, carbons and hydrogens retain onto the um, onto the column. So since many organic compounds have carbons and hydrogens and and that sort of thing, they will have hydro you know hydrophobic interactions. Um, the C18 column is also very good for methyl selectivity. It is able to pick up the differences of one methyl group between different compounds. So, you know, if, if you have a degradant that's a very similar structure, only differing by one or two methyl, you know, groups, then the C18 is going to be able to pick out the difference between the two compounds and pull them apart or retain them differently based on that difference in um, their hydrophobic nature. Um, I, I choose the phenyl column, um, and the phenyl column is an orthogonal column to the C18, meaning it has a very different selectivity. It's a different um, interaction, chemical interaction with the stationary phase, um, because of the pi-pi interactions that the phenyl phase is going to offer. Anything with any kind of pi bonding or a ring structure will be able to retain well on a phenyl column. And that those pi-pi interactions are going to be, you know, different than the hydrophobic interactions of the C18. So the two different columns are really targeting two different separation, you know, separations the, or two different interactions, the um, hydrophobic interactions and then the pi-pi interactions. Um, there are, you know, of course, other phases, um, but those ones I, I don't usually use in my general method development. I'm just going to kind of highlight why you would choose some of the other more common phases for you to consider in the future. Um, the C8 phase is very good for steric differences in compounds. It, when you have compounds that kind of differ by configuration or, you know, have different functional groups with different, um, uh, yeah, just different steric inter interactions in general, um, C8 is going to be able to pull those compounds apart based on the differences of the shape. For F5 PFP columns, they have many different interactions, five interactions, but for me, if uh, organic compound has a halogen in it, then I, I start to consider PFP or F5. Again, this is just me. This is my thought process, right? Um, it's just gut feeling what I've done for many years. Um, and then there's also the phenylhexyl column. Phenylhexyl column is kind of a combo. It's got the hydrophobic interactions, but it's also got the pi-pi interactions as well. So it's a great kind of in-between column where like you're not doing you kind of want a combo of both the C18 and the phenyl, it, it, it'll, it'll help out with that. Um, kind of a, a quick side note, right? We're concentrating again on the C18 and phenyl phases, and there are other phases, 
but within the C8 and the Fennel world, there are many columns that are still, you know, in USP terms, L1 columns. They label themselves as C18 columns, and, you know, that's the phase that they have. But they have a lot of different modifications that have been made so that they interact with compounds in very subtle and offer like subtle selectivity differences. Um, that's more advanced method development where you, you know, have a good general method developed, but then you know that there's an impurity in there and you want a little bit additional separation or you're analyzing 15 compounds at once and you need, you know, not just a C18 and a phenyl, you really need to look at the differences of the compounds and how you will be able to separate all 15 compounds. Um, so yeah, some of these modifications are uh, 100% aqueous stable, hybrid silicas, polar modified surfaces, um, positive modified surfaces. These are all classified as L18 or not L, L1 columns, C18 um, phases. But those small differences um, will have differences in their selectivities. And that's, you know, kind of once you have a good general method, then you can concentrate on the small differences. So now that we have our columns, we are going to use a C18 and a phenyl column. Um, just as a side note, I like, you know, talking about phenomenics columns. I like the XBC18, the kinetics XBC18, and the kinetics biphenyl. These columns are used in many, many, many different applications, and they are just good columns to start off with. Um, if you need a fully porous version of this instead of the kinetics, then I would look at the Luna C18 II and then the Luna Phenylhexyl. Although it's a phenylhexyl, it's still a great column. Um, so I would look at the Luna Phenylhexyl if you need the fully porous. And that's another topic. Um, fully porous versus core shell for um, method development, but the core shells will be fine for method development. So now that we have our column, we're going to start to look at the mobile phase. When I was doing method development, I had only four places for solvents on my system. So I had my two columns on my system, I had my C18 and my phenyl, and now it was time to choose some general solvents to start with. Um, for me, I usually had phosphoric, or I usually had 0.1 phosphoric acid in water as one of the mobile phases. I had pure water, I had pure acetonitrile, and then my other one was 20 millimolar um, potassium phosphate. Um, so those were the phases, those were the mobile phases that I usually started off with, and then, you know, I would try other things. Another common one to start off with is 0.1 TFA in water. Um, that's another common one just to try. You're kind of noticing that almost all of these are acidic, um, and that's to help with the masking the silanol, the free silanol activity on the column. Um, there are basic compounds, and there are higher pH mobile phases, but for basic method development, very basic, a general method development approach is to choose just an acidic mobile phase. So I usually chose the 0.1 phosphoric, um, the 10 millimolar or 20 millimolar potassium phosphate, 
and a lot of the time the 0.1% or 0.1% TFA in water. And then I usually used acetonitrile for my organic. Um, methanol is, you know, also an option. And um, a quick note that methanol is very good for phenyl columns and it helps with the pi-pi interactions. Um, so that that's something to consider, you know, maybe having methanol on there as well, trying out that because it will offer different selectivity for phenyl phases. Um, then I would... You know, I I would typically start with these um, mobile phases. Um, you can you know, a little bit more advanced is to look to to pick the the mobile phase solvent based on the chemicals pKa your compounds pKa, um, and you want to pick a solvent or mobile phase that's going to be um, at least one pH unit on either side of the pKa. When you're analyzing 15 compounds, this is obviously a problem because, right, there are different pKa's everywhere. But for, you know, general troubleshooting or general method development, we're just going to start with these um, mobile phases. But when you start to get into method development further, then you're going to start to pick a solvent or a mobile phase based on the compounds pKa and you're going to start targeting the pKa um, when you're exactly on the pKa and you're analyzing it your your chromatograph your chromatography a lot of times you'll get peak shape issues because you're trying to like basically split two pieces species of the compound um, and then also compounds retain differently at different pHs um, different pHs affect their log P, so that's something a little a little bit more advanced to consider as well. Um, a quick note about detection. So I picked these solvents because I used a UV detector a lot of the time, but if you are using a mass spec, you need to be very aware of the solvents that you are running on the mass spec. So a lot of the time, ammonium formate and ammonium acetate are chosen. Um, or just 0.1 phosphoric acid. So you're going to want to use solvents that and mobile phases that are safe for mass spec. So now that we've got our column, we've got our C18 and phenyl. We've got our two columns. We've got our mobile phases. Right now I have 0.1 phosphoric, and then I have 20 millimolar potassium phosphate, and I've got acetonitrile. We're going to start to find a good mobile phase ratio um, for our method, right? We're starting from scratch. We have no idea anything about this compound. So I'm going to set up a scouting gradient. What's called a scouting gradient on my system. A scouting gradient is going to be 90% buffer, 10% acetonitrile, and then that's going to go to 10% buffer um, or water, and 90% to and 90% organic. Um, so you're gonna go from high water to high organic. So I'm saving 10%. You know, why am I not doing it 100 to 100? You can, you, you can do that. You need to be very careful when you do that that you have a hundred percent aqueous stable column. So if you're not using a hundred percent aqueous stable column, then you could do, you know, 95.5 to 595. But the, I think 
a lot of the time, if you're working with a compound that's, you know, you, you know, has a log P of one to four, you're, you know, you're going to get retention from it. Um, starting at 10% acetonitrile or organic isn't going to be a problem. And it's easier for the column to um, re-equilibrate after that gradient with that amount of organic in there already. Um, so you're going to have your scouting gradient, 90-10 to 10-90. Um, and then you're going to want to do it pretty steep. What do I mean by steep? You're going to do that change pretty fast. Um, for me, if I had a 150 millimeter length column, then I would run the method over 15 minutes. If I had a 250 millimeter column, then I would do it over 30 minutes. Um, so that's the 90, 10, 10, 90 over 15 minutes or over 30 minutes. Um, and then you're going to want to re-equilibrate the column after that for, you know, two to five minutes um, for your next injection, if you're trying to develop methods on multiple compounds at the same time. But usually when you are doing method development, it's kind of, you know, one injection at a time. Um, and then you look at your chromatogram or you're watching it while it's happening. And so that you can make changes to the method and try another injection right after. So you're not really in sequence mode. You're kind of injecting um, one at a time, but if you have a sequence, then, you know, yeah, you're going to want to put re-equilibration time at the end of that gradient to bring, bring it, bring it back down to starting, um, starting ratio. So I'm going to run my scouting gradient. Then I'm going to look at the chromatogram of my compound and I'm going to see where my compound of entrance, my compound of interest, my peak is coming out at. Um, so say I'm running on a 250 millimeter length column. So my runtime is 30 minutes. So you're, you're going to look for your void, your, your unretained peak, um, your solvent void. And that is the amount of time that is shifted. So your, your dead volume, right, of your column. So if my, usually for a 250 millimeter column, it's going to come out at 2.5 minutes if you're running at one mil per minute. Um, so say, let's, let's say it's 2.5 minutes um, of 30 minutes. So at 2.5 minutes, that is when my gradient is going to start changing. So my concentration or my ratio of organic to buffer is going to start changing at that time. So I'm going to look and see at what time my peak came out. So say my peak came out midway through. So it came out at 15 minutes. Okay, well, 15 minutes um, is going to be, you know, approximately 50-50, right? So at that point in time, I'm roughly 50% buffer, 50% acetonitrile if it's 15 minutes. But then you also have to remember that delay, um, there's a 2.5 minute delay. So at 2.5, so I'm going to add on 2.5 minutes to this, to that. And then my 50-50 would really be coming out at 17.5 minutes. So if my peak is coming out at 15 minutes, then it's going to be slightly less than 50-50. Um, so I've actually got more buffer in my system than I do organic at that point. So maybe I'm going to say 45 
Um, well, yeah, so I'm going to say 55% buffer, 45% acetonitrile at that point. So say my compound is coming out at 10 minutes. Um, so 10 minutes, I'm going to think that, you know, 10 minutes is like roughly like a third. So what is a third? Maybe like 30% or 40%. So you're just going to look at, you know, the time and then draw your gradient over it. And then, you know, so like start off at 10 and then go up to 90. And then you're going to kind of isolate what, um, percentage, what ratio of buffer and organic was, you know, what it was at the point in time when your peak eluded. So then you're going to take that ratio. Um, and oftentimes you can, you can either run isocratic at that point. You can try just running it at that ratio, or you can try making your gradient much shallower. And, you know, it, and that's what I would usually do because I wouldn't really be exactly sure what percentage of organic my compound came out at. I could guesstimate, but if I ran a shallow gradient, I had a lot more leeway each way, so I didn't have to be right on. And so I would make the gradient much shallower. So say my compound is coming out at 35%. I, I you know, I looked at my chromatogram. I see that it's coming out at 35% organic. So then I'm going to make my gradient, my new gradient, I'm going to make it um, 85% buffer and 15% acetonitrile. And then I'm going to have it go, since you know it's coming out at 30, I'm going to have it go all the way up to 45% organic. So 55% um, buffer, 45% organic. And so I've made my gradient, I've gone from very steep to very shallow, or not very shallow, but shallower. Um, and I'm going to do it over the same time period and then see what my chromatogram is like. Um, and then you can continue going on and on and on. And you can either, you know, you can make it isocratic, um, where it's just one ratio, or you can make it a very shallow gradient if you have more than one compound or if, um, you know, you have some later eluding impurities that are more hydrophobic and are sticking around the column longer, you're going to want to elute them off. So you're going to, you know, want to go up to a higher percentage organic at the end so that you can get off all of the impurities so they're not being carried over onto the next injection. That's kind of finding a good mobile phase ratio. You know, so you started with nothing um, we started with no method, no column, no nothing. Then you looked at your separation mode. Then you picked your reverse phase. Then you picked C18 and phenyl columns to start with. Then you started with your phosphoric, you know, phosphorus and 0.1 phos phosphoric acid in water and acetonitrile. Then you ran your, your, your scouting gradient. You looked at your scouting gradient, found the ratio of organic started to kind of zero in a little bit more, shallowed out the gradient, um, and then kind of kept zooming in more and more based on your needs of your peak. You know, is my peak being retained too much? Maybe I need to increase the um, ratio of organic. Is it being, um, you know, is it coming out too fast? Maybe then I need to start at a lower percent or need to look at a lower percent um, 
you know, acetonitrile or even a 100% aqueous column at this point. So by now you have, um, and you've, you've run that scouting gradient, you run the same scouting gradient on um, C18 and a phenyl. And you're going to look at those chromatograms when you run your scouting gradient, and you're going to look and see which one offers better retention and better separation of impurities. And then that's the one that you're going to optimize further. Can you optimize both? Sure. Why not? You know, um, you know, you can start zooming in on both and then seeing which one offers the better selectivity, but usually, you know, by the first scout ingredient, which one's going to offer better, um, better selectivity. And then this is also the point where you can run scouting gradients with the other mobile phases as well. You could try the scouting gradient on the C18 and phenyl with the 20 millimolar potassium phosphate. You can try it with the methanol. You can try it with the 0.1 TFA. Um, so you can try all of the different solvents with the same scouting gradient on the you know, same two columns and then see how the selectivity is differing um, based on the mobile phases and the stationary phase. And then you can kind of zoom in. So a lot of people, and this is what I did, I would run sequences overnight where I would have, you know, my C18 column and I would have it run scouting gradients with um, TFA and phosphoric acid. And then I would also have it run on the phenyl with the same mobile phases and I would run multiple, you know, multiple compounds. Um, and so when I would get in the morning, I would have four chromatograms, four scout ingredient chromatograms of each compound to go through. Um, and then I would go to my system and further optimize them by making, you know, smaller changes to the ratios based, based on the one that I picked that chose the best selectivity. So last thing that I'm going to talk about is just some quick peak sharpening cheats, just little simple things that you can do to improve the chromatography for, you know, beginner method developers. So you can look at increasing the temperature of your analysis. Um, increasing the temperature is going to allow um, better interactions, faster exchanges with stationary phase. So sometimes it will improve your peak shape. Um, it also sometimes makes your peaks come out a little bit sooner. If you, you know, you're retaining a little too long or something like that, um, you can increase the temperature and um, get them to come out just slightly sooner. Um, let's see, you can also play with um, the sample solvent. So what is your sample dissolved in? Is it dissolved in 100% acetonitrile? Is it dissolved in 100% water? Is it dissolved in 100% DMSO? I hope so. I hope not because that would be not great for your column. So please don't do that. Um, but getting cl as close as you can to the mobile phase ratio, if you can dissolve your sample in that as close as you can get to the mobile phase ratio, that's going to help you, um, your peak shape. It's going to help your peak shape because when you go too far either way, then you start to have interactions with the, when, when your sample solvent hits your mobile phase, those, and those solvents are not similar enough. They don't have a similar, um, they're not similar. Then you're going to have some interactions and it's, it can affect your peak shape. So that's a simple thing. Trying to get dissolve your sample in as close as you can to your mobile phase ratio. That's always helpful. And then also your injection volume. You know, you just start off with, 
you know, one microliter, five microliters, 10 microliters, right? And then you can, that's a very easy thing to just change. Um, and occasionally that'll help the peak shape. If you're overloading the column, it'll help bring it down. If you bring down the injection volume, it'll help your peak shape. Um, so those are just some simple cheats that are very easy to modify from one injection to the next that could, you know, help your peak shape and help your method look better, your separation. So, um, in summary, we talked about, um, picking a mode of separation, um, based on the log P of your compound or its partitioning coefficient, how much it wants to be an organic or aqueous. Um, so we investigated reverse phase today, but there's also a normal phase helic, um, you know, and then there's all the other types of separations, ion chromatography, uh, size exclusion. Then we picked our column phases and we picked C18 and phenyl based on um, these two columns being orthogonal. Um, after we picked our columns, then we picked our mobile phases. We picked an acidic mobile phase just for general method development, um, primarily because we're targeting the stationary phase at this point and not really the chemicals, the compounds, pKa. That's something else to consider and, and something further to consider from um, method development. Then after we picked our starting mobile phases, we looked at um, ratios and what ratio we should have our method at. And um, that's something that you don't know off the top of your head. So you are going to do a scouting gradient to find out. Um, and then once you have your scouting gradient, you're going to, you know, zoom in, zero in on good conditions, good mobile phase ratio for your analyte. And then finally, we talked about some quick sharpening, quick peak sharpening cheats. Um, and then that's it. Uh, again, disclaimer, right? Chemicals are weird. Um, this was my, perf my personal method development you know, procedure process. This is kind of how I thought about method development and, and, and went through it, um, on a daily basis. And this was just the first step of method development, a general process. Um, once you get those initial readings, you can make a lot of choices then, um, about optimizing, switching columns, switching selectivities, but, um, you know, if you're coming from nothing and you don't know anything about a compound, you don't know anything, you don't have any chromatographic references, this is a great start to it. Um, and then once you have that first chromatogram, you can do a lot with it. And that's what we help our customers with. We ask for what they've done already, and then we have tips and tricks and, and things that we've learned um, over the years subtle things that they can try to improve. Um, so ad additional resources, there are loads of selectivity posters on all of our different phases on phenomenx.com, um, different selectivities and different, you know, flows and processes and stuff like that. We have some on chiral, reverse phase, um, so check them out. They're there for you. It's a resource. Um, also we have a chat, um, chat with our technical experts. So a member of my team is manning the chat 24 hours a day. Um, and so you can chat with us directly. We're happy to help you further develop methods once you get past that first, um, 
first point, or if you know you're still struggling starting from scratch, we're happy to help. Um, so come come and chat with us online. And that's again at phenomenx.com. You can find us in the corner. There's a little pop-up thing that says uh, chat with a technical expert. And, and that's that's me. That's us. Um, thank you for your time and uh, good luck. Good luck method developing. I, I love it. It's one of my favorite things to do. I think it's a lot of fun and I hope that you find it fun as well. Um, bye. Thank you so much, Genevieve. I know this information will be exceptionally helpful for those working on their method development. If you have any questions, Phenomenex offers a free technical service called Live Chat, which enables customers to contact our technical experts nearly 24-7 around the world. You might even get a chance to chat with Genevieve herself. So you might have noticed that we're missing a few of the trending science headlines that we usually do during an episode. But because Genevieve had such an in-depth look into method development, and I know so many people have been asking about it, we decided to just have all of our latest trending science news headlines over on our Science Unfiltered blog this month. So go ahead and head to the Science Unfiltered blog if you haven't yet this month at www.phenomenx.blog to check out the latest stories and news. Before we finish up today, and you decide to catch up on a few of our past episodes, here are a few exciting announcements from Phenomenex. Phenomenex will be attending PitCon in Chicago this coming week from March 1st to March 5th. We really hope to see everyone there who's attending, so make sure to drop by our booth at number 4632. Again, we'll be at booth number 4632. Other than getting to talk to our smiling faces, you'll have an opportunity to help us celebrate our Kinetics LC Corshell Column's 10th birthday. There will be cake pops, freebies, and even a chance to win a massive prize. So stop by booth number 4632 for all the PitCon fun. Savings is still going strong at Phenomenex.com, so head to our website now, log into your portal, and to find the latest deals designed just for you. And again, if you have any questions regarding today's podcast, you can reach technical support assistance 24-7 around the world through our live chat function. You can start chatting with an actual human with a technical background right now, and that's at www.phenomenex.com slash chat. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. And as always, check out any of our other episodes you may have missed. Till our next one, stay nerdy.